Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio getting ready to record episode number 219. We've got a really good show lined up for you today. In our warm-up segment, we've got our City of the Week, Player of the Week, Equipment Tip of the Week. We have a, a really good Did You Know, a really good listener question, and of course, Paige's Power Play. In our lead-off segment, we're going to talk about it's tryout season in certain parts of the country, and people are starting to plan for tryouts, even though as crazy as it is, and we haven't really gotten into the summer season yet, but the summer season's going to come by and get away from us in a hurry. In our cleanup topic, we're going to talk about key things to think about as you're getting ready for tryouts. Had a listener question that came in and asked us a specific couple of things to talk about. And then our coaching tip of the week, we're going to talk about bunting, the value of it and why it's so important, especially after watching Oklahoma State beat Florida last night on a drag bunt, squeeze bunt, and a couple of other sacrifices. Now, before we get into all that other fun stuff, let's talk about our sponsors. First, the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus 9 rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. It's a great way for you to save a little bit of money on a great bat and also help support everything fast pitch at the same time. Now let's talk about patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. We want to welcome our new patron, Travis Bryant. Travis, thank you very much for coming on board and supporting everything fast pitch. If you would like to join Travis in the ranks of our patrons, our patrons are awesome. They've done an amazing job for us. Without our patrons, this thing would have gone out of business months and months ago. So and we can so, sure use that help. Yeah, yeah we, we definitely can. And so you go to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. There's three different levels of monthly support. Click on the link. It'll take you through the whole process, get you signed up. And we would certainly love to have more of you come on board and help support us with what we're doing with the podcast. Coach Don and I have said many, many times, um, there's just an awful lot of stuff that goes into making this work. And none of it's free, unfortunately. Everything costs us something. We certainly do appreciate the support of our patrons. So if you see value in what we're doing, go to patreon.com slash everything fastbit. So Don, in our warm-up segment this week, first let's talk about our city of the week, Washington, D.C., Washington, D.C., that's kind of interesting right now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That area all around Washington, uh, that part of Virginia, Delaware, all those uh, different areas around Washington are really softball areas. I know I've been uh, there several times recruiting. Um, there have been uh, several travel teams that have been kind of centered and located out of that area over the years. University of Maryland's program is very uh, definitely and very definitely taken a a jump in the right direction. And uh, so obviously we're excited to see the numbers going up. Washington's a gigantic city that's pretty important here in the United States. And obviously uh, anytime we see the numbers jump, it tells us that there's somebody in the community that's spreading the word, that's doing a good job on our behalf of telling other people to give everything fast pitch or a coach prep a listen. And so we're going to ask all of you to do the same thing. Find somebody who's not listening yet. Ask them to give it a try. I'm pretty confident that if they listen once, they'll come back. Um, and for those of you that are relatively new to the podcast, I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we have one very new listener who's taken on the challenge 
of trying to listen to all 218 previous episodes. The only thing that's kind of funny is he won't hear us talk about him because he told <laughs> me in the uh, email that he sent that he's... He, only he, starting he, at the he, beginning. Well, he listened to one of the more <laughs> recent ones about a month or so ago, and then he decided he needs to go back and catch up. So it sounds like he spends quite a bit of time in the truck driving around and uh, has a lot of time... Uh, while he's on the highway to listen and, and try to catch up. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited to see that, and uh, and hopefully uh, uh, sometime before I die of old age, he'll catch yeah. back up to us. Well, I was going to say, Tori, he'll get to see the, the progression for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Don, so that's going to bring us to this week's Player of the Week. Our Player of the Week is Kenna Wallace. Kenna's just a really outstanding player. Uh, she's uh, had a lot of success so far in this uh, spring season. She's catching, um, working really hard on improving her catching skills, and but it, it sounds like she's already a uh, pretty accomplished catcher in only her second year of, of becoming a full-time or committing full-time to trying to be the best catcher she can. She's had a very strong tournament. Uh, they played in uh, Orem, Utah in the May Madness Tournament a couple weeks ago. She just did a great job behind the plate, threw out a couple of kids trying to steal. And you and I both know for somebody who's a relatively new catcher, that There's, can be challenging. Yeah, it, it, it takes some time to, to get all the pieces in order to be able to do that fairly consistently. And uh, certainly it sounds like Ken has worked really hard to improve herself to the point now where she's throwing some kids out on the bases, blocking a lot of pitches in the dirt, you know, just cutting down on her pass balls. Also, on top of everything else, besides the hard work that she's putting in on the softball field, she's an amazing student, a 4.0 grade point average. As always, we're looking for nominations, people that are uh, worthy, that you think are worthy of our, our recognition, that have worked hard at this game, that are doing things in the community, that are doing a great job in the classroom. Obviously, when they're uh, accomplishing great things on the softball field, that's easy for us to recognize. Uh, but we want to make sure that we're always looking for players that are just doing a great job in general. Um, you can send those nominations to us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. Uh, you can join in the fun like Kenna did. Uh, Kenna was nominated, and we're very excited uh, that uh, somebody took the time to send in her nomination. I want to say congratulations, Kenna Wallace. You are the Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week. Keep it up, yeah. So, Don, equipment tip of the week. Let's talk about the Square Cuts training disc. No, again, as always, Tori, the discs have been great. Uh, just the other day, we had some students that were loosening up and warming up, and the dad was talking about the spin that was coming off of a regular ball when they were hitting on a tee. And, uh, you know, when they got the discs out, it became very easy for her to see exactly where we were making contact on the disc and, and the spin that was being created. So they were super excited about the disc. Again, very excited to continue working with them. So I think it's a good product that I think everybody will benefit from having a set. Yeah, no, there's, there's no doubt about it. What we originally designed them for from, as a hitting tool is going to be very, very valuable to any player. I think they're a great tool for coaches to have in the, in the toolbox of, of stuff that you can use at practice. And obviously for every player to have something that they can use at home that's going to give them some instant feedback. Um, it's got the same diameter and weight as a 12-inch softball. So when you hit it, you know what you're hitting. You can feel it. It, it definitely gives you some feedback that way. Uh, but the way it flies, the way it goes through the air is going to tell you everything you need to know about uh, where your bat is at contact and, and if we're doing a good job. So, Tori, um, I've, I've never met a coach either that feels like they have too many drills and too many things to work with the kids. Yeah, well, yeah. adding a little bit of variety is always a good idea. And honestly, the thing that I've seen with the square cuts is that once somebody uses them, they just... Once they get it. Yeah, they, yeah. they, they understand the value and they, they see uh, all kinds of benefits in having it in their, in their normal routine. You go to the fastpitchprep.com website, go to the front page, there's a, a place for you to click on the 
order button. You can order your square cuts training discs. They're $49.95 a dozen. We're going to get them sent out to you right away. Um, it's a great tool. Uh, there's no supply chain problems, nothing like that going on here. We've got a bunch of them here in stock. Um, they've been going out on a pretty steady basis, but we'd love to see some more go on out to uh, listeners who want to get a chance to use them. So the Square Cuts Training Disc, $49.95 a dozen. Go to the FastPitchPrep.com website and get them ordered there. So, Don, did you know Caitlin Lowe, head coach at University of Arizona, is the first ever first-year head coach to lead their team to the Women's College World Series? Wow, that's fantastic. I did not know that. That's a pretty cool uh Fresh, did you know? Yeah, it, and it it's, just happened. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's brand new uh, news, but it's also something when you think back on uh, all the uh, great coaches and all the you know, teams that have made it. The process uh, of getting there. Yeah, the yeah. Uh, no, no, it's a unique situation because you know she had been part of the program and with these players and and kind of you know it's knows just a new the, role for her knows the ins and outs, but she yeah. definitely is a, a brand new head coach had uh, you know no head coaching experience before taking over. When you just think about that as a as a starting off point, my first job ever as a head coach <laughs> going is to the World Series at, at one of the most prestigious softball schools uh, on the planet. And oh, by the way, we're going to go to the College World Series in my very first year, um, and, and making some noise. Yeah, yeah. so um, it's it's just a pretty cool thing. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I had a chance uh, several years ago, uh, right right off of her Olympic uh, experience, to do a coaches clinic down in Myrtle Beach, uh, and she and Laura Berg were both there. And it was kind of uh, an ironic twist to see them playing against each other in the uh, uh, College World Series, knowing the, the relationship and the friendship that they have. It was one of those, I'm sure, bittersweet things for both of them to have to square off against somebody that they cared so much about in the, in the opposite uh, dugout. Right. Um, I was very impressed with her then, um, you know, the way she could get in and, and, and work with and teach these younger, less experienced, uh, less skilled players, all kinds of fun stuff. So the fact that she's becoming a Amazing head coach doesn't surprise any of us, and uh, and Arizona definitely uh, got this figured out. It's a pretty cool thing. So Caitlin Lowe, the first ever first-year head coach to lead their team to the Women's College World Series. So Don, our listener question this week comes to us from Tanya, and Tanya says her daughter is not a pitcher or a catcher, so she doesn't really have a lot of passionate uh, opinion about this, but she does do Game Changer for their team, and she's trying to do the best job she can, wants to be as fair as possible, when it comes time to determine whether it's a wild pitch or a pass ball. Now, the first thing, of course, we're going to say is that depending upon whether your kid is the pitcher or the catcher, chances are you have a much stronger opinion right. about whether it's a pass ball or a wild pitch. But, Don, you spent uh, your whole life back there uh, in the, as, the, as we used to call them, the tools of ignorance. Right. So what, what are your guidelines? No, I think that's kind of exciting to, to bring that up because, to me, Tori, if a ball's in the dirt, I mean, it's a bonus if the catcher is able to block it up and keep it in front of them. There's so many variables there in terms of the hop, the bounce, the spin, all those things. It really changes the whole scenario. And catcher's got a pretty tough job back there. And just to, to manage that, that whole scenario is tough. So to me, if it's in the dirt, I'm pushing for the, the wild pitch. I think there's a lot of obvious ones that are wild pitches, you know, that are way out of the zone. And I'm assuming that those are easy ones to uh, to score, right? But the the toughies are the you know short hops and things like that. You it's, it's tough, but I feel for them for sure. Yeah, well, and I think it's uh, one of those judgment kinds of situations. That, you know, and one of the unfortunate things 
anybody who is scoring a game, determining whether it's a wild pitch or a pass ball, whether it's a hit or an error. Does it depends um, who's sitting beside you? Well, I think that's <laughs> that, that can be part of it, but I, you know, there's so much of it is just subjective. And so, Don, I like your theory that if it hits the dirt, you know, I'm, I'm leaning towards wild pitch. But there's other situations where the ball doesn't necessarily hit the dirt, where it could still technically be a wild pitch that I think sometimes catchers get credited for pass balls. Now, again, depending upon the age and the skill level of the players involved, you know, if a pitcher's throwing fairly hard and a catcher calls a curveball and the pitcher throws something other than what the catcher's expecting, and, you know, she sets up on one side of the plate expecting it to be a pitch that's going to be breaking a certain way, if she gets crossed up, she might mishandle a pitch that might otherwise normally be pretty catchable. And so I think some of that is what, I guess, kind of evens out the, the ledger a little bit, that there's going to be sometimes that the, um, it looks like it should be a pass ball, but it's also just a very difficult pitch to catch because of the communication or maybe the lack of communication. But so general rule of thumb, Tanya, I would say if it touches the dirt, I'm saying wild pitch. If it doesn't touch the dirt, but it's way outside the realm of reality. If, if the you know, catcher's it's, jumping or yeah, if it's, jumping uh, to try and make you know, it If happen. it's way above the catcher's head or way outside or way inside to the point where they almost have to like dive for the ball, then I'm saying wild pitch as well. Other part of it would be if it's pretty much that she sets up to catch a pitch and she looks like she's in a good athletic position, a good catching position, ready to catch. Hits her, and, and, hits her glove and bounces right, off. Right, and she doesn't handle that, then I'd be saying pass ball on most of those. Uh, but whenever we see the catcher having to go self-defense mode, diving for the ball, blocking a ball that's in the dirt, watching a ball sail over her head to the backstop, any of those kinds of more extreme situations, um, I think are always going to be, in my mind, I would always be you know, calling those wild pitches. Catchers also, too, Tori, can be a little bit tired or slack or you know, maybe not as attentive as they need to be in that situation, like you're saying, with somebody that throws hard. And has a little bit of movement on it, you know. I think that there's balls that should be caught and shouldn't be, uh, you know, charged on the pitcher for a right. wild pitch. If if it gets their glove and it looks like it kind of hit their spot, that's on the catcher at that right. point, right? Well, and I think it's you know, there, there's a lot of other factors too. And again, you know, not knowing the the level of team that we're talking about, a catcher who's trying to be really aggressive in how they frame a pitch, that's trying to really do a good job of. You know, pushing a ball back towards the strike zone, trying to you know pick a pitch a little bit, or or um, really sell the idea that it's a strike. They might have an occasional pass ball because they're trying so hard to get that you know extra inch yep. back towards the On plate that it might pitch. tip off the glove a little yeah. bit. I don't think there's any absolute, Tanya. I wish I could tell you that if it, if it does this, it's absolutely that. But I'd say you know you know Don's point about pitches in the dirt. Uh, my idea of pitches that you know re- require the catcher to do something you know extreme, you know to you know make a really aggressive movement from where they're starting from the target. Um, yeah, from the target. You know, to me, I'm I'm almost always thinking wild pitch on those. Uh, but anything that uh, she starts out in a good position, she looks like she's ready to receive the pitch, and it doesn't get caught then I'm thinking pass ball. Absolutely. I think that's a good call, Tori, yeah. right there. Well, and, and you know the thing that is funny about this, uh, the way the game is scored, and uh, our umpiring friends can, can make sure that I'm still on board, but I believe the way the rule is written, if a hitter swings at a pitch so it's a strike, even if it bounces in the dirt, it automatically becomes a pass ball. And I'd have to double check. I haven't looked at the rule book on that in, in, in many, many years. But it used to be oh, that the assumption saying. was... Not a foul ball, but right. just a swing. If, if it's a swing and a miss, if it's a strike, 
and it doesn't get caught. It has to be a passed ball because the assumption enough, is that it, it was, has to be a strike. It was good enough pitch for the right. batter to swing. Now that that could be different now, but I know once upon a time I can remember you know looking in the scorebook at, at where we had played and somebody had uh, passed ball, and I couldn't think of when that happened. But then you know, asking our sports information guy, he's like. Well, yeah, I remember in the third inning when that uh, our pitcher threw that changeup that was forty, you know, was a 40 30, feet, thirty-eight footer, and the girl swung and missed, and it went to the backstop. And they're like, "Yeah, that's a wild pitch." Like, oh no, it's not. It's a pass ball because it's a strike. Because it's a strike, the assumption is it should be caught. So, oh, yeah, I know. Uh, but, interesting but, thought. Yeah, but, but and I know that was the scoring rule at one point in time. It might be different sure. now, um, and that might be one of those things again that in everybody's final statistics, if we're trying to keep track of, you know, somebody's percentages behind the plate, you know, especially you know, for, for kids going into recruiting seasons and stuff like that, you know, being able to say what their numbers are is important. Or college kid, all Americans, right? right? Yeah. yeah. So it's just one of those things. But Tanya, we do appreciate you uh, taking the time to ask, uh, ask us this question. Hopefully our, our discussion's given you a little bit of guidance. I don't think we gave you the absolute right answer or the best answer, or at least the best answer that Coach Don and I can give you. That's it. For all of our listeners, if you have questions or ideas, we would love for you to reach out to us again, just like the uh, nominations for player of the week contact us at fastpitchprep at gmail.com or everything fastpitch at gmail.com um, and tanya we've got a uh, everything fastpitch t-shirt on the way to you very very soon so don that's going to lead us into this week's edition of Paige's power play hey it's Paige here i hope you're having a great week so far um so i want to talk about not being afraid to go first because i know it's scary to go first i know it feels embarrassing to say the wrong thing to give the wrong answer in class, to feel dumb for asking a question or messing up the drill at practice. I know it always feels scary to go first, but did you know, I think it is the coolest thing when a girl pushes her fear aside and steps up to volunteer to go first. It's, I think it says a lot about the person you are when you have the guts to just go first. I think it shows that you're a leader that you're confident, you're brave, that you're a trailblazer, that you're courageous, and you can be those things. If you're constantly worried about your teammate, what your teammates will think, what your fellow students will think, what your coaches will think, or what everyone else is thinking, you're going to miss out. When you go first, you learn. When you ask questions, you learn. When you say the wrong thing, you learn. And by the way, who cares? I'm sure someone else was thinking it too or wanting to ask that question too. So don't be afraid to go first. Step up because the ones that go first go the furthest. And again, I have that self-talk practice. It's free and it's really something, a great tool that will help you build the confidence to go first. So kind of a perfect hand in hand of building that confidence to go first and not being afraid to go first. So go to my website at pagetons.com and the, the freebies and the resources, go grab that, download it. It's really easy. It's going to help you start shifting what you're saying to yourself and what you're, you're telling yourself and building that confidence. Don, I love what Paige is doing, her new program to help kids deal with the pressure when they're uh, being recruited. I can remember watching players so tight, so tense, so scared when I would show up to watch them play because they were really interested in coming to our school. Uh, it got to the point where I would try to not let them know I was coming, try to sneak in as much as I could, or at least sneak in and watch a little bit of the game before people would figure out that I was there. Sure. Just try to help take some of the pressure off. But Paige's program to help players uh, manage the 
anxiety and the stress of going through that process, I think it's a really good one. So pagetons.com, T-O-N-Z. Um, she's got a bunch of great programs, and if we're not taking advantage of them, we're missing out. So, Tori, i got to throw in there, too. I've got a couple of young students that have sat in on a couple of her sessions, and uh, the gleam in their eye when they came in and said, I have a way to relax now, or I have a way to perform better when, when the pressure's on, yeah. or you know, what, however they threw the terminology out there, but just the gleam in their eye and the excitement that they had a, a way to, to deal through some of those things was really kind of neat. So yeah. everybody ought to try. You got to yeah. check it out. Yeah, well, I think Yogi Berra said 90% of this game is 50% mental or something like that, or 50% of this yeah. game is 90% mental. Well, I think the truth is the same is true about fast pitch softball too. So, um, so check out pagetons.com. So Don, in our leadoff segment, sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods, is located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is 678-377-0270. You can also contact the folks at Elite at Elite Sport Orders at Yahoo.com. Anything you need, bats, balls, uniforms, spirit wear, everything that uh, you could possibly need, you just contact them and they will be happy to ship it anywhere in the country. So now we got a couple of tryout questions today. Number one comes to us from Shannon. And Shannon's question was for a 14 and under or older competitive travel team. How many pitchers should a team have? We talk about this on, on the pod, previous podcast, Tori, that so many of our groups right now are trying to ride so thin on the numbers that they can keep everybody happy for the commitment, for playing time opportunities and things like that. The commitment that they're making to the team, I'm going to make sure that they're all happy. I think we underestimate the injury, the player availability, attrition when people move on and, and go other places for whatever reason it might be. I think that we really ride too thin. And to me, a perfect situation in travel ball is that we've got at least two kids, if they're pitcher only, and then one or two more that can play another position to, right. to give them innings, but they can still help you know, get through uh, the runaway games and things like that. They can pitch and not get us in trouble and then go back and play first base or third base or whatever it might be. And, and that keeps everybody happy. And then we don't, when we do have an issue and one of our primary kids can't be there, for whatever reason, then, you know, we've got plenty of uh, good pitching to, to make it fun for those days too. Yeah. Well, I know, uh, Shannon, I do appreciate you sending in this question because it's something that we've talked about, looked at, talked uh, through several different times. And I agree a hundred percent down with your thought about how so many teams are living on the, on the danger zone, They're living on the edge of how many kids they need, how many kids they want, how many kids they can keep happy all at the same time. And for each of these age groups, I think as you get older, the challenges are going to be different and always going to create different kinds of scenarios. But your idea of at least two full-time pitchers and at least one or two more players that do pitch that maybe are the shortstop but also pitch for the school ball team. You're not serious about you know being a pitcher in college or whatever, but, uh, but you know you can pitch in a, in a pinch if we need you to thing that uh, all these playing time questions and, and uh, numbers questions always, I guess, get my blood boiling just a little bit because there's two completely different dynamics at work here. One is what's good for each of the players on the team. And the other is really what's good for the team and its best chances of being successful for the long haul. Long term. Right. And the two things are totally different. What's best for each individual player is that they have just enough players that they get to play all the time except when they want a little bit of a rest. And as soon as they get a little bit of a rest, they're right back in there and they never have to worry about coming out again. 
And I understand where that comes from. We talked about this several times, you know, now that travel ball has, has become so expensive and so many people are investing so get, much money. Getting their money's they've, worth. They've got to get yeah. their money's worth. Mm -hmm. So that's one side of this coin, and it's one that is very much motivated by the players and the parents and, and what's in it for me. And I get that part of it because that's certainly part of the equation. If you're not getting out of it what you think you need to get to just, out of it, it doesn't make any sense for yeah. you to do it. Yeah. But the flip side of it is, is what's best for the team. And what's best for the team is for us to have enough players that when we get into the seventh game in a row on a hot summer day, we can look out there and think, hey, we've got the best chance possible of still continuing to win, still, still being successful, still playing the best softball we can because we've got enough depth and we've got enough uh, versatility and we've got enough pitching and we're to not keep hurt, going. We're not hurting our kids too, right? right? You know, the flip side of it now, what happens is that teams end up getting knocked out sooner than they should or they end up having to stop playing on certain days because they run out of pitching. Well, that's because during the normal tournaments, the promise was made that you're going to pitch every other game or you're going to pitch, you know, two-thirds of the innings or you're going to pitch one-third of all the innings or whatever it is. And so you know, we have this idea that somehow that means we can't have any extra bodies, we can't have any extra players because then somebody's going to be upset. So how many do you need in 14 and under for sure you need two plus? As you get older, you're going to need more. Now, whether that means more full-time pitchers or more other kids who also can pitch, because as they get older, they're going to be going to softball camps, they're going to be going to church camps, and they're going to be going to take the SAT and the ACT and all that kind of stuff. When they get to be 18 and under, they're going to be school visits and school trips and uh, prom and all that other stuff that's going to be going on. And all that stuff's important. I'm not saying that those things should be missed, but my team shouldn't have to skip a weekend. What a bummer. Because yeah. somebody's going to prom or somebody's going to visit a school or somebody's got to take the ACT. Our good friend Claudia Cooper right now is going through the nightmare of all nightmare situation. She's got a whole bunch of really good players on her team and not enough pitching to get through most of the tournaments that they're signed up for. Right. Um, you know, they had an unfortunate situation where somebody ended up not being able to play, had some health issues and things like that. And stuff like that's going it to happens. happen. Yeah. But that comes back to the original problem. If we had three pitchers instead of two, when the girl got hurt and couldn't pitch this, this summer season, we'd still have two. Yep. And we'd be thinner, but we'd be we'd have enough that we could at least go into a weekend and think, hey, we got a chance to at least play a few games. Now we are, you know, facing a situation where we have one pitcher. Now I don't know about every place else in the country, but it's hotter than blazes right now in Georgia already. Well, and, and this time of year too, we're not all used to it yet. Yeah. Quite I mean, yet. So so we're out there, it's 89, 90, 91, 92 degrees. The humidity is like four hundred percent. We're going into a tournament where we're going to play three or four games on Saturday with a pitcher because well, we started off trying to make sure we had the right number to keep everybody happy, to get everybody enough innings, yeah. and then one thing goes wrong and we don't have enough. Yeah. And now that's an 18 and under team, and that's not even counting the times that they haven't been able to play because of prom and graduation and senior trip and things like that. And it just it, it's so heartbreaking to me. Because especially when we're talking about pitching, if we don't have pitching, we can't play. And Tori, don't we want to be fresh when we're making it to those uh, championship rounds or the tail end of a tournament? I want to put someone out there that's fresh, that feels like they can really get it done and get it, you know, but if they've pitched four games already this weekend 
and they've done their training through the week. How fresh are we? And, right. And are we hurting kids? Yeah. So, well, and, yeah. And, and we're not talking about, you know, some of these college pictures of the girl from Northwestern, uh, Danielle Williams, who has won my heartfelt admiration. I think she's an amazing player, amazing athlete. I think she pitched like 94% of their innings in the regionals, super regionals and, and college world series. But she's a 22-year-old woman who spent her whole life getting ready for this. It's got you know strength and nutrition and physical therapy and athletic trainer and all that stuff at her you know, beck and call to make sure that she's ready to go and, and as ready as she possibly can be. That's not happening in the travel ball world or the school, the high school or, or you know, junior high school level of yep. play. You know, we've got this terrible catch-22 where we have to keep everybody happy, but then everybody else has, has to suffer if it doesn't happen exactly right right if 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 we have to go to plan b there is really no plan b plan b is how long can you pitch okay well you're going to pitch until your arm falls off and then if uh, you feel better maybe you can pitch again tomorrow or yeah trying to trying to scratch up another pitcher for the weekend just to get by and again that's not ideal right yeah so uh shannon back to your original question i think you know as, as your daughter gets older and progresses through the ranks the numbers are going to change 14 and under, a serious 14 and under team that really expects to play deep into tournaments has to have two full-time pitchers and and a couple of other kids that pitch some, or maybe three the, full-time the pitchers. Strikes. Yeah. yeah, maybe three full-time yeah. pitchers for the, the bigger tournaments where you know you're going to play a bunch of games. Um, as they get older, you're going to need more than that. And I understand that it means that there's going to be some weekends if your team didn't play really well and you go home after three or four games that... Well, we spent all weekend at the ballpark, and and you know my daughter only pitched five innings or only pitched seven innings or whatever it is this weekend. Well, that's the trade-off for the later on in the year when all of a sudden she's the only one who can still throw, and she's got to now throw the thirty-fifth and thirty-sixth inning of the day. Right, and that's part of being on a strong team. Right, because you know it's going to happen. I mean, yeah, you know, and 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 we see it every year that some team, you know, some, one of these big national tournaments. Or you know Colorado or whatever it is, they lose their first game and they you know play ten, twelve, fourteen games to get back to Decide, the yeah. championship game or whatever, and it's just it's crazy. So so I didn't want to turn this into a rant about uh, we need more <laughs> players, but we we definitely need more pitching. But now the again the ultimate catch twenty two is we already know there's not enough pitchers to begin with. We need fewer teams. Yeah, yeah we need we need less teams, and we definitely need less teams that are trying to portray themselves of being true national championship level, A level, gold level, um, premier level teams, because there's not enough pitching for those teams, let alone everybody else. And so um, we're we're just in a really tough situation. And my other rant, I'm just going to throw this in here really quick. If they don't fix the strike zone in college softball, I'm going to punch somebody. (laughs) Watching pitch after pitch after pitch, hit the catcher in the glove. A little tight. With a full count. And somebody's going to convince me that that the pitcher and catcher are both foolish enough to think that they're going to set up set off up this, outside. When yeah. when the reason we've got a full count is every other pitch that was on the corner didn't get called already. They're not setting up on the corner again. They're smarter than that. I promise. So and they're and they're skilled enough. And they've right. Been yeah, they they yeah. they can do it. So yeah. and and again, if you if you go back and YouTube the uh, Northwestern games at the College World Series, why else uh, do I have undying? Uh, respect and admiration for uh, the Northwestern pitcher. Watch how many pitches she throws that everybody in the park knows are a strike, including the hitter, but the umpire called the ball. Mm. That's all I'm going to say. And so now we want to convince more kids to be pitchers? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Shannon, thank you very much for uh, helping us uh, have a, an interesting topic to talk about today. So, Don, that's going to take us to our cleanup topic, which is sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to be sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. It's a nutritious snack that every athlete should have in their bag of tricks. It will allow you to get a great snack, something that's healthy and nutritious, all natural, and goes a long way towards making a ball player a better one. And, Tori, our listeners can get their Pinnacle Power Butter at PinnaclePowerButter.com, and they can place their order there. Again, that's PinnaclePowerButter.com. If they use their promo code of EFP10, they can also get a 10% discount. And we're really excited that they're on board with us. Products are great. We've used them and tried them at home. The whole family loves it. All right, so we have another listener-driven question today, Don. Heather sent us a note. Her daughter is moving up. She's played on a lower-level 14-and-under team, and now she has progressed to the point where she's going to be moving up to 16-and-under, and she also wants to try out for a much higher level, much more competitive level of team um, as she moves up in, in age group, I have lots of admiration for that. I think all players as they develop should always be to looking to, to do that yeah. Yeah, to, to move their way up the pyramid and to you know, climb the ladder to a stronger and stronger competition. But she wanted our opinion about the couple of key things that her daughter should really be focusing on as she prepares to try out for some of these other uh, more competitive uh, and older teams. Well, I think that's interesting, Tori. I know uh, you know the expectations in terms of training and you know, from practice time to playing time, as we talk about all the time with that stuff, you know, our expectations for that type of thing, I think, need to be altered just a little bit. You know, hoping that she's able to still get game time in terms of her abilities to participate at that higher level. It's an exciting time and you get to meet some new people, be around different coaches, some different coaching philosophies, uh, training styles and things like that. Practices are going to be different. Again, I think that being open-minded and being excited, big-eyed, and anxious to to work hard, I think things can be very good with that. Right. Well, and unfortunately, there's not like a list of things that we can say, if you do these better, or if you do this well, you're, it'll happen. You're, it's definitely going to happen. Now, there yeah. are things that I think all coaches look for, but they're not all things that everybody can just you know, you know make up their mind, hey, I'm going to work really hard on this and, and in a month get a lot better at it. Obviously, uh, things that really stand out in a tryout, number one is speed. If you're fast, it stands out because, well, let's just be honest, the vast majority of... It gets noticed. Yeah, you yeah. have a whole lot of kids that are average, you have a couple of kids that are slow, and you have uh, very few kids that are just like that burner, like, oh my gosh, look how fast she is. Now, the how, look how fast she is, kid, always stands out in a tryout because you're always going to do a little base running. You're also going to do some things where you know the outfielders are chasing down some fly balls, the infielders are ranging after balls, and you can see that speed out on the field. And so, you know, obviously, having speed in your arsenal is going to be a thing that's going to open doors for you as you try out for newer, especially higher-level teams. But unfortunately, it's not something that you can make up your mind today and say, hey, I've got tryouts in a month. I'm going to get a whole lot faster in a month because it's just one of those things, you know, for some of us, genetically, we just don't have the... the, the I wish I was quicker, Tori. Yeah, the gene pool. Well, yeah. they, they called me Tori the turtle. There you go. And, uh, and it was pretty, tr- pretty accurate. <laughs> Always was accurate. So that was why I tried to work so hard on hitting because I figured if I could hit it in the gap, at least I could stretch that triple into a double. Right? There you go. Yeah, um, yeah, and and stretch that double into a single every once in a while, but uh, but so speed is one of those things. Obviously, hitting is going to stand out. If if you're hitting the ball really hard, 
you know, chances are you're going to be doing some sort of uh, front toss type thing, some drill things. You know, if, if you can you know, work on your hitting and make sure that you go in pretty confident and, and feeling good about your swing and feel like you're going to be able to show people what you're capable of doing, hitting is going to always stand out and open doors for you. Obviously, everybody's looking for hitters. Defense, again, obviously we want kids that can pick up a ball and throw it across the infield, you know, kids that can run down and catch a fly ball. But again, some of those things are things that you can polish up a little bit. You can go in confident. You know, one of the things that I've always been dumbfounded by is how many kids go to tryouts and haven't done anything in the week or two weeks or three weeks heading into it. Um, you know, they basically, you know, just dusted their glove off, dug it out of the trunk of the car, haven't touched it since whatever the last time they went to the field was. You know, and they show up all of a sudden thinking, well, I'm going to show everybody how great I am. Well, you know, a little bit of preparation would go a long way. I was going to say attitude and effort are something that we can uh, definitely right. um, control. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of things we can't control. But if I see somebody, you know, big eyed and excited and um, anxious to work hard, that, you know, makes me notice for yeah. sure. Well, I think that's a very important thing, Don. I think you're hitting on maybe the one thing that is absolutely in Heather's daughter's control because, you know, chances are for most kids, they're not that, oh my God, we have to have her on our team kind of player when they show up for tryouts. It just doesn't happen very often. More often than not, it's the, well, I like these five players. All five of these are pretty good candidates for our team. And then there's going to be something about those kids that kind of stacks them in order, one through five. And I know for sure that if you're enthusiastic, if you're high energy, if you're you know, diving for balls, if you're hustling to your spot, if you're first in line, if you're doing those kinds of go-getter kinds of things. That stuff rubs off on others. And it's yeah. going to make an impression for yeah. sure, right? Because basically, in a tryout setting, you're trying to convince a new coach, somebody who doesn't know you at all or, or for sure doesn't know you very well, hey, you need me on your team. You, you, know, you have to have me on your team. If I'm on your team, I'm going to make your team better. Some of that might be pure, raw softball skill, might be speed, might be athleticism, but it might also be attitude, effort, passion, willingness to learn. Um, you know, again, depending upon you know, what kind of team it is that you're moving up to, there's still an awful lot of quote-unquote A and B-level teams that are still looking for that kind of rough-around-the-edges player that they can develop a little bit, that, that they see as a potential to grow as a player because they're going to work really hard. So Heather, I think that's, you know, the the one thing for sure, I think Don and I both would agree that if your daughter can go in there with a smile on her face, a song in her heart, looking like she's ready to go, um, I think that would go a long way um, in, in helping her. I know I also have, you know, a handful of blogs on the website where we've talked about uh, tryouts and tryout strategies and stuff like that in the past. So if you have a couple of minutes, you might want to go to our fastpitchprep.com website and search the categories and see if there's not a, a couple of things in there that might be helpful too. I was going to say, Tori, and one other little piece, uh, our instinct is is to you know, try and show them everything we can do. And, and in doing that, I think sometimes we uh, try too hard. Right. We might pull our head off when we're, when we're swinging you know, out of our heels. You know, try and stay under control, work hard, be intense, but under control and just be cautious to not overdo things. Yeah. yeah. Well, and at the end of the day, we're still playing softball. Yeah. You know, and, and so, um, you know, I think that uh, kids put so much pressure on themselves, thinking that, oh my gosh, if I, you know, don't look great, it's going to be the end, uh, you know, end of my career kind of thing. Do what you do. You know? yeah. And just go out there and, and do the best you can. But, but as we said before, you know, take care of the attitude stuff. 
Make sure that you've worked enough and that you've practiced enough that you feel pretty good that you can show them what you're really capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And, and and at the end of the yeah, if you if you're looking coaches in the eye, if you're asking them questions, if you're first in line, that's going to make a good impression. And at the end of the day, let's just say that you try out for a team and for whatever reason you're just not the player that they're looking for. Well, the good news is, as you said before, Don, you get to meet some new coaches, you meet some new players, you make some new friends, you got a chance to get a little bit more experienced with the travel ball world and the, and the tryout world. Um, and if, if you don't make Team A, doesn't mean that Team B might not be the right fit for you anyhow. Might be the and, better. Yeah. And it might be a way for you to kind of, I guess, target the right kind of opportunity. Um, you know, I think uh, there, there's nothing wrong with shooting for the moon. And if you, you know, if you don't hit it, but you still end, land in the clouds kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, give it your all and uh, you're going with a good attitude, going feeling confident about your ability to show what you're capable of doing. And, and it will work out that you will find the right team for you. So, Heather, thank you very much for uh, sending us that idea, that topic. Hopefully that uh, conversation is going to help you and your daughter a little bit or anybody else that's going to be out there in the uh, crazy world of tryouts. Here Everybody's going to be doing it soon, right? Yeah. So, Don, that's going to take us to this week's coaching tip of the week. Here's one of those. I have to say that this is the topic, and I have to talk about why it's so important, and then there are people who have known me for a long time that listen to this <laughs> podcast that are going to you know, spit out their coffee or, or, or choke on whatever it is that, uh, um, that they're <laughs> drinking, because I just watched Oklahoma State win a game last night against Florida, which is a, you know, two amazing teams playing each other in the Women's College World Series, right. because they could execute the sacrifice bunt and they could execute the squeeze bunt. And that most fundamental skill, something that we all know is an important part of the game of fast pitch softball, they're, they're just good at it. And they are really good at it. And especially when you think about a team like Oklahoma State that has you know, kids that just rake. You know, they got a whole yep. bunch of kids in the lineup that can just tear the cover off the ball. They got home runs coming out of their ears. And all those kids can still bunt. And uh, Coach Gajewski's got enough confidence in his players to be able to run the squeeze play. Ask um, him to do it at those know, times. Yeah, on the biggest stage with you know I don't know how many people are ten thousand, twelve thousand people in the stadium now at, in Oklahoma City. I mean it's not yeah. uh, just a little not you know, your backyard normal environment. Game someplace. Yeah, and, and so here's the reason why I wanted us to talk about it because I think it's a part of the game that has become less and less effective, underutilized, it, because yeah. it's so underutilized. Yeah, and uh, now part of it is. People like me love hitting more than anything else. Yeah, and that was always my my problem. Um, we bunt if we can't hit. Well, kind of thing. Or I, I still thought bunting was important, but I didn't think of bunting as an end all be all. It wasn't the only strategy that I that I liked. You know, there would be times that we would try to steal a base instead of sacrifice bunting, or we would try to hit and run instead of sacrifice bunting. And of course, a runner would get thrown out, or we'd hit into a double play or whatever. Right, and all the well, you should always bunt in that situation. Parents would be mad at me because, well, if you would have bunted, we, you know, we'd still have a runner at second base. But for every time it didn't work, it worked. Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. in, in my mind, you know, the the home runs and the doubles and the stolen bases, you know, evened out the score a little sure. bit. It's like anything else in this game. The more options you have, the more skills you have, the better off you're going to be. And bunting is one of those things that we don't use enough, but we should understand something really simple. If we're a good bunter. Bunting, in my mind, is like a 90% skill. I should be able to sacrifice bunt like 90% of the time. Like a free throw? Almost? I'd say even higher than that. It's a 90% skill. The best hitter on the planet is still a 50% skill. 
Right. So if we know for sure getting one base is crucial, it's going to give us a chance to make a difference. And then these kinds of games where great pitchers are going against each other and one run might win the game, 60 feet it can, it can be a pretty big deal. And so if we have something that we might do well 30 or 40% of the time, or something that we can do well 90 or 95% of the time, doing the 95% thing probably makes a little bit of sense. No, I think that uh, sacrifice bunt is something that everybody's got to be able to do. Your number four hitter, if your number four hitter, three, four, five hitter can bunt really well, I think that's a, an exciting thing when the defense has to honor that and move in a step against your strongest, hardest hitting players, right? right? And uh, to be able to show that, that you can do that and that's a threat, I think throws a whole new dynamic into it. Right. And at a college level, I think everybody needs to be able to bunt. I mean, if we're playing extra innings, we're going to be in a situation where we need to squeak out one run. Right. One run can get it done. So, so often now, too, even in our travel ball world, I'm hearing scores that are so high that bunting doesn't seem to be a part of the necessity until you get to that high-end tournament or the, the tail end of a tournament when we're in that 2-1 ball game, yeah. and that's when we fail or that's when we, we falter a little bit. So. Right. Yeah, don't don't worry about uh, practicing it too much. Worry about not doing it enough, right? right. When I think that that's the uh, uh, the moral of the story today is that uh, we need to incorporate more bunting time, more bunting practice. We need to take bunting to a higher level. You know, this year with the team that I work with, um, we started to really focus on sacrificing more. We also started working on push bunt, slug bunt, drag bunt. You know, all these different skills. And the thing that I was really excited about is that the kids welcomed the idea of working on it and adding these skills to their game. They weren't like, oh, I'm just going to hit. I'm such a good hitter. I don't need any of this stuff. They were excited to do it and excited to learn it. That was one of those light bulb moments for me. I was a first year 14 and under team. And those kids who are all good players or all good hitters, excited about adding something to their game that's going to make them more well-rounded. And the thing that I noticed in that Oklahoma State, uh, Florida game, Besides the squeeze bunt that got a run, the amount of pressure that was constantly on Florida because Oklahoma State kept getting runners into scoring position. Now, of course, they were giving up some outs to do that, but the flip side of it is I don't care how strong you are as a player. Uh, when that runner's in scoring position, you get that runner on second or you get that runner on third with less than one out or less than two outs. There's all kinds of things spinning around in your mind and you just can't help yourself because there's a, you know, so many more things that you have to be prepared for and to be thinking about. And so the idea of being able to put that extra pressure on the defense, uh, get that many more chances to, you know, to get a runner uh, into scoring position. And just as I was you know, thinking about this topic driving over today, I probably thought of maybe 10 or 12 games that are still in my memory of wishing that I had tried to squeeze bunt with a runner at third or wishing I had, right. you know, bunted that runner over to third because, you know, there were a couple of, you know, really big, important games that I can remember that we lost in my career that, you know, 10, 15 years ago that still bugged me a little bit. And it's like, yeah, if I would have been smart enough to bunt, if I, if I would have tried the squeeze bunt, that might have surprised them. You know, and, and we had kids that could do it. I just, you know, didn't have the, I guess, confidence or the, and honestly, I probably didn't have enough confidence in myself to call it some of those times because I was thinking, I'm going to look we're like We're going to hit it, but we're going to hit it, too. Yeah. And well, for every other time, it would have been a good hit, yeah. too. But, yeah. you know, but the, the times that uh, for, for every successful squeeze bunt, you know, eventually you're going to have one where we, you know, we bunt you're through the miss. ball or we, we pop it up. When you think about it, if, if you 
hit a line drive and you get doubled off, or you try a squeeze play and you and you pop a bunt up and you get doubled off. I mean, it's still just playing softball. Yeah, it's part of it's part of the numbers yeah. game, right? It's going to happen. And sooner or later, it all evens out and balances out a little bit. But what a joy as a coach too for me to uh, to have a player up to bat that we could possibly base hit bunt when we even might typically want to sacrifice, but catch people off guard, base hit bunt, and know that if it goes foul, that uh, that I can ask them to sacrifice after, and they're going to get it down, just right. like you said, that they're yeah. good enough they can do it. Yeah, and one of the things that is definitely making its way uh, into the school ball and uh, travel ball world, at the highest level, a lot of times you'll see the corner infielders playing a lot deeper than we used to in the old old school mm-hmm. days. So the option to bunt is a lot more available if we were better at it. And I think what, what happened last night is Oklahoma State just decided to take advantage of something that they were good at that worked in the right situation. And they're still playing, and Florida had to unfortunately play UCLA and is, is going home today. It was a nice year, but yeah. 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 And so, you know, so if coaches keep working on it, make sure that you're spending enough time on it that the players have confidence in their ability, and then you have to gain confidence in their ability to use it at the most pressure-packed, toughest time. And once you do a few times, you start to see uh, the impact that it's having is something you're going to want to incorporate into your everyday game plan. Everybody's got a bunt. Absolutely. So Don, that's going to wrap up number 219. As always, please support our sponsors, the Anderson Bat Company, Elite Sporting Goods, and Pinnacle Power Butter. Go to fastpitchprep.com, order your square cuts training discs there. You can also have access, as I mentioned earlier, there's about 720 blogs. There's the YouTube channel. There's tons of information that's available to you there. And also, if you're in a position where you can, go to patreon.com and help support everything Fast Pitch. And Coach Prep, Coach Don, I really do appreciate the patrons. Um, and again, thank you to uh, Travis Bryant for coming on board. We do appreciate your thank support, you, Travis. Travis. Yep. Um, and so uh, that's going to wrap up episode number 219 for Coach Don McKinley and our producer, Stan Lewis. This is Coach Tori saying thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.